0: This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back to
1: Max Out, everybody. I'm Ed Milet. Today's a very special show that I think you probably remember the rest of your life. And so we're going to talk today about kind of a sensitive subject. We're going to talk today about mental health and even suicide today. And my guest has been somebody that I've been aware of for a while now. And uh, I can truly tell you that I'm honored that you're here today. Mm, It's really a blessing. And so this is Kayla Steckline, everybody. Thank you for being here.
0: Thanks for having me. It's
1: so great. And um, I know today, I just wanna first acknowledge your courage. Um, When you all begin to hear the story today, you'll understand why this is such a courageous, strong, bold, great Christian woman. So so let's start with the story because we're gonna instantly begin to help people and change their life Mm. right now. But why don't you tell everybody um, a little bit about what took place with Drew, your mm-hmm. husband, and um, everybody that doesn't know this, um, Drew was a 30-year-old man, pastor of a church, mm-hmm. and took his own life a um, little over a year and a half ago, right. Yeah. and um, and they have three young boys, mm-hmm. and so this is obviously a an issue that's very sensitive to so many people, so
0: mm-hmm. what happened? Yeah. What
1: happened with true and what happened
0: overall? Yeah, so Andrew was healthy. You know, Andrew and I met in college in 2008 and he was healthy, he was driven, he was running fast, running hard, he knew where he was headed. He started working in ministry at only 19 years old. He was a junior high pastor at his parents' church, and he loved the church, passionate about ministry, and the kind of guy that was driven for excellence. So He was going to do whatever it took to put in the hours needed to put in, and be there for his team, and lead strong. And a few years later, we were married in 2010, and in 2011 his dad was diagnosed with leukemia and his dad was a lead pastor of our church. So Andrew stepped up even more. We have pictures of him and his dad sitting in the hospital side by side with their laptops open, planning message series, scheduling guest speakers, and Andrew was helping lead the church at a very young age. And we did that for about four years. His dad battled leukemia in and out of the hospital, remission, relapse, remission, relapse. He was in a wheelchair at one point, and it was a really hard, journey but Andrew was so faithful and he would step up and he would show up and he would be there on Sunday last minute to you know pull a message out of his back pocket and deliver it and unfortunately in 2015 his dad ended up passing away and A few months before that we had this epic service where we actually wheeled Andrew's dad onto the stage in a wheelchair and his dad was holding this baton that was engraved with Andrew's name and the date and he handed Andrew the official baton of leadership of the church at 26 years old. So very young but gifted and called and so just talented and and it was very evident to our church. Our church was fully supportive of this position and this decision and he was just so gifted. So his dad ended up passing away, and Andrew's heart was for the church. Hmm. So he didn't take much time off to grieve. He took about two weeks off to grieve, hmm. and then he came back and did a series on heaven. And he just wanted to lead the church through their grief and through their pain, and so he didn't take a lot of time for himself. Hmm. And that's kind of just how it was for the next three years. He was running fast, running hard, leading strong. We this were adding it. kids to our family. We having
1: kids, and his father, I saw Dave, several times. Yeah. His father was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And so he was this sort of iconic figure in that church right. too. Yeah. I didn't know that. So there was really no grieving period right. through those four years. Yeah. Okay. And so. his dad
0: was his hero, like best friend, mentor, looked up to him a ton. Like mm. it was a great loss for our church and, and for him personally, I'm a very su- great loss.
1: Oh sure. Yeah. So you're having babies. He yeah. takes the church over,
0: right?
1: Just that alone. I mean, There's I remember Joel Osteen taking over his father's church, mm-hmm. and just just that alone was a huge thing to take on at right. such a young age, and f- for you as a young family too. Right. So, yeah. So, did yeah. Did, did things be did, did things begin to get difficult even during that time? Or?
0: Yeah, so leading a church, leading any organization at the top, there's difficulties, you know, there's emails that come in, there's staff issues, it all falls on your shoulders, but Andrew was carrying it really well through and learning a ton. Mm -hmm. Learning so much. I kept telling him to have grace for himself because he was so driven for excellence It was Mm -hmm. hard for him to relax and it was hard for him to accept some of those blows that would come his way Mm -hmm. But basically in the fall of 2017 is when things started to change Um, We had a stalker issue in our family that really sparked this sense of fear in Andrew and the fear sparked panic attacks. And he started having very, very debilitating panic attacks about two to three times a week. And I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack or ever witnessed a panic attack, but it's like this full body takeover. I I could tell just by looking in his eyes that he was in the middle of a panic attack. You could see the fear in his eyes, and he would tremble, and he would shake, and he would pace around the house, and he'd be laying on the floor in the fetal position and crying and doing anything he could do to try to get it to go away so he was seeing doctors you know we were seeing the right specialist to try to see what was wrong with him and at first we thought it was his thyroid he had struggled with hyperthyroid issues in the past so we thought maybe this is just a flare-up and if you google hyperthyroid he met like all the criteria panic attacks is one of the criteria for hyperthyroid and he had lost a bunch of weight too Mm. and so we thought okay it's thyroid easy kind of fiction we'll find the right medication find the right doctor but we, as we pursued testing, we came to find out it wasn't his thyroid, and Andrew's panic attacks were getting worse instead of getting better. They got so bad that he actually was on the bathroom floor just minutes before he was supposed to deliver the first of seven Easter services in 2018.
1: Would they be more pronounced closer to having to um, uh be on stage and preach, or was it just random? It was
0: mostly at night when he'd try to sleep, is when they would come, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they started happening more during the day when he'd be preparing for messages or Mm -hmm. before he was gonna go on stage, like any little thing could just throw him into a panic attack.
1: God bless him. So so right before these Easter services, it was really bad.
0: Really bad, Mm -hmm. and I don't know how, but by the grace of God, he was able Mm -hmm. to get on stage. I don't even know how. I remember him walking onto stage and I'm standing in the green room and I'm just crying. Mm because I can't believe he's walking onto the stage. I just saw him in his office a few minutes before, like completely beside himself. Mm -hmm. But he delivered all the Easter services and then the next week he landed in the hospital. And we all decided like enough is enough. Mm -hmm. We can't live like this anymore. He can't live like this anymore. He's suffering. We gotta get to the bottom of why these panic attacks are happening. This is not okay. Mm so we put him on a sabbatical we had the board of directors over after we got home from the hospital and we all decided this guy needs to rest he's been running fast he's been running hard he's been everything for everybody it's time for him to actually care for himself and Mm -hmm. take a break and we didn't put a time limit on it we didn't tell the church he was going to come back at a certain date we didn't even tell him we put no pressure on him just heal and rest and take as much time as you need Mm -hmm. so he started his sabbatical in april of 2018 And a few weeks later we went and saw a psychiatrist and that was when he was diagnosed with depression. And I was shocked, I mean I'll never forget sitting in the psychiatrist's office and the psychiatrist told me your husband has depression. And I was so shocked that I didn't say anything. We just walked like silently to the car and I slid into the hot car and I turned to him and I said, how did we end up here? Mm -hmm. This strong, resilient man that like for me was like Superman, like he was invincible. He had carried our church and our family through so much and been strong for so many people. And I was shocked that he had depression and he was actually relieved he was relieved to finally have a diagnosis An yeah do you think
1: there's any i want to ask you some questions about sure, that? Yeah. do you think particularly when somebody has faith that maybe people around them or themselves may think, well, this is just some lack of faith you have, or mm-hmm. you know, if you were really strong in your faith and were a believer, how could you be depressed? Okay. Do you think there's a? There's I think a, there's a
0: huge stigma with faith and mental illness. So I really I. believe that there is, and mm-hmm. I think we pull verses out of context so to back I. that up and say, you know, if you don't be anxious about anything, pray about everything, and mm-hmm. and God's gonna take away all your fear, and you don't need to be afraid. And we pull these verses out, but it's not helpful. It's a real emotion. It's a real feeling and depression is a, actually a real physical illness it's yes. a chemical imbalance in our brain so it's not the result isn't of it, not having enough faith
1: isn't it interesting that his father and i think everyone needs to hear this his father who had leukemia correct mm. yeah. nobody thought that that physical illness that dave had was somehow connected to a lack of faith right. but when someone's afflicted with the illness of some form of mental illness oftentimes we think we'll just fight through it or mm-hmm. Uh, just simply pray about it and certainly Mm -hmm. prayer helps but also there's a there's a medical fix that can be had or support for something like leukemia a broken leg Mm -hmm. or something has happened to you emotionally mentally psychologically as well so important it's not a lack of your faith so you've taken this break back to the story you've taken this break Um, there's a diagnosis you're wondering how you got there Mm -hmm. he's relieved
0: Mm -hmm. okay yeah, so he battled. you know, He battled depression and anxiety. He had a lot of anxiety from April to August. He battled with depression and I really never knew who I was going to get coming out of the bedroom. If he was going to be happy or if he was going to be sad or if he was going to be mad. The depression manifested itself in ways that I didn't expect. And we were doing everything we knew to do to get him the help he needed. He was seeing a psychiatrist every other week. He was on medication. We were seeing counselor together for two hours every single week. He took solo trips by himself to go spend time with God and pray and be in solitude. We took a two week road trip, just the two of us, which is like really hard to do when you have a house full of kids. But we were doing everything we knew to do to get him better. And by the end of July, the, doc- the doctors actually thought that going back to work was the next right step for him. They thought too much time away from work would actually make his depression worse.
1: Can we stay there for a second? Yeah. I want to make sure everybody heard this too, because I heard some things about this. Yeah. It's important to know that he did try medication. He did. That this wasn't just some... I think sometimes people think, oh, they just... You know, they thought they were going to pray their way out of this to some extent. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're looking for God's favor. We're looking for blessing anytime we get. We're looking for grace. We're looking for relief. But this is a family that also treated this medically. Okay. I'm interested because he had not had um, an extended period of time of being what you'd consider well. Mm-hmm were they changing the medications? Were they trying to find the right, because oftentimes it takes a while to find the combination that's necessary for someone. And again, everybody, that's with this severe level of mental illness. We're not going right into medication because somebody's feeling a little bit down or depressed. That's not the right solution for everybody. But were they still playing with it at that time? Was he on medication when he went back to
0: work? Yeah, so they actually diagnosed Andrew on the low end of the spectrum of depression. Mm. So he was was on very low dose of medication. And you know what, medication can have a huge stigma around it and people people can blame the medication for a lot of things too and say, well if he wasn't taking the medication then he wouldn't have died by suicide. And mm-hmm. medication causes this and this and this and no one should take medication. And mm-hmm. there's not a one size fits all approach when, right. it, when it comes to mental health. And mm-hmm. sometimes medication works and sometimes it doesn't and mm-hmm. it's just all gray, can it's we, not black and white. Can
1: we stay there for a second? Cause yeah. you're clearly far more of an expert on this having lived through it than I am. But what you just said is so important. Medication is not the solution in many cases. some cases medication makes it better and in some cases you have to watch this closely the medication can make symptoms worse if it's the wrong medication the wrong amounts the wrong combination so this area is something we're all learning about and how to treat mental illness when it's necessary it's just almost like with a with a torn tendon is this require surgery or does it require rehab Mm -hmm. and the same thing is true in mental health as well so so I'll
0: never forget his psychiatrist telling us we know a drop in the ocean of the brain there's just mm -hmm. so much we don't know about the brain and about the mind it's such a mystery and that's why you just have to try and figure out what works for you and what works for you isn't going to work for me something different will work for me so we have to have so much empathy and grace for people that are struggling and be okay with their decisions that they make to get help. Mm. And that's why he was seeing the psychiatrist so often was to check in and make sure, hey, how are you feeling? Are you having suicidal thoughts? Is the medication working? Do we need to try something else? Like, Mm. it's very important.
1: So you were doing all of the things it would seem that a family or an individual should be doing to treat this. Mm -hmm. Perhaps there was a misdiagnosis though. we don't
0: know we'll never know yeah Yeah, we'll never know
1: so he decides ultimately to go back to work right and
0: yeah so he went back to work on august 1st of 2018 and hit the ground running and gave two powerful messages on mental illness he called the series hot mess and he was using his own experience with depression and anxiety as the example gave out the suicide hotline number gave statistics on mental health statistics on suicide like he knew all the facts he was quoting, you know, books and scripture and and websites and he he knew what he was up against and he was helping a lot of people. I mean our church was flooded, people were sitting on the floor, they gave him a standing ovation, they were so happy he was back. And headed into the third week, he just had a really awful day. There was a trigger. And unfortunately the next day is when he attempted suicide and we were completely shocked. We were completely stunned. We thought he was getting better. We thought that we were on the up and up. We thought that he was, you know, back to work. We're doing the right things, we're taking the next steps. Like, he's gonna get better. And so we were shocked and rattled and completely devastated and blindsided. And he ended up in the hospital and was on life support. And the doctors ran all the necessary tests and basically said there was nothing that they could do. I'm so sorry. And the next day he went to be with Jesus. Yeah.
1: I'm so sorry. Um, was there anything... Sorry. Sorry. There anything the day of that you saw that you could share with people you thought was a tremendous trigger or not the specific trigger but there was mm-hmm. some behavior you saw within say hours prior that you would warn people that you observed that mm-hmm. they would look for or was there nothing yeah. like that
0: um, anger I'll never forget the night before, Andrew was upset. We were all surrounding him. You know, we were right there, we were right there. The way that I describe his death is like a kid drowning in a swimming pool at a birthday party. Like he was surrounded, like surrounded by support and surrounded by love and we just missed it. We were, we were he was surrounded. But I'll never forget the night before as we were surrounding him and there for him, um, he said, anger is fear. Mm -hmm. and he had this fear in him that started with the panic attacks and that was still in there and I would ask him what that fear was and he would never really be able to articulate what he was afraid of Mm -hmm. but it was this fear and I still don't know what the fear was but he had this anger and his depression and anxiety would manifest itself sometimes in anger not all the time Mm -hmm. but definitely the day before Mm -hmm. it was that Mm -hmm. and um yeah, he had friends that stayed with him till the wee hours of the morning. We were really? we were there and we were checking on him. So, it was just a short period of time hmm. that he was by himself and we were helping from a distance. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm, I have to ask you, how how did this affect you? How did you respond when it initially yeah. happened? What yeah. were those moments like for for the wife, now the widow of this yeah. 30-year-old handsome yeah. driven, articulate, blessed, favored, talented, loving father yeah. of a man. Yeah. What's it like for you in those moments?
0: Shocked, still mm. shocked. Um, mm. The counselors told us the shock can take like five to eight years to wear off. So mm. still shocked, completely shocked when it happened. Never saw it coming, mm. begging God. You know, he laid in that hospital bed. I laid on the bed with him, holding him, playing some of the same songs he was playing over the summer in our bedroom. And begging God and telling God and bartering with God, telling him no, not not him. Like you can use him, you can use this story. Imagine how many people you can help. So I was shocked, especially because we just lost his dad. I'm like, God wouldn't allow you know him to die too. We just lost his dad a few yeah. years prior. Like two lead pastors within three years, a father and a son within three years. Like mm. so much loss. Mm. Like shocked. And I'm still shocked. I still have to pinch myself and remind myself that this is my life and this is my story. And that really happened. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, I should just tell you that what you did pray for is happening, just not in the way that right. of us would want it to be. Right. God is using him. Right. Right now he's using him to reach millions of people. And you've been, you're amazing, which we're going to get to here in a little bit about just the unbelievable strength you've shown and good work you've already done. Um, I have to ask you, did he at some point in the, cause I want people to look for any of the signs, anything sure. they can do. Those of you that are contemplating this, just remember this, that the, these emotions that she's experiencing, you, these are the emotions that your family would be suffering through yeah. as well. So get help, go see somebody, yes. talk to somebody. Okay. Had he mentioned this as a possibility to you during yeah. those months? He had.
0: Yeah. So i actually read a blog about that after mm-hmm. it happened. I've been very open about it cause I want to mm-hmm. help people. Yeah. He did mention suicide one time, Um, I'll never forget sitting at the kitchen counter one night after the kids went to bed and we were having a conversation. And he's like, I was up last night in the middle of the night and he was looking at his org charts at the kitchen counter and he told me he thought about killing himself. And I quickly responded like, you can never do that to me and the boys. Like that's the most selfish thing you could ever do. Like I said the things you're not supposed to say. But I was so tired, I'd been taking care of our three boys and taking care of him for a whole summer that I was just tired and I wasn't healthy myself. Sure. But I didn't respond the right way and I wish that I would have taken it seriously. One of my biggest regrets is not taking that one admission. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was our only opportunity to know how bad it really was and I just missed it. I asked him questions, I asked him if he had Googled it and he said no, I asked him how far he had thought about it and he said not very far. Okay. So I kind of just dismissed it and like, okay, well, he hasn't Googled it. He hasn't really thought about it a lot. I think I felt ashamed. Mm -hmm. And I think he probably felt ashamed talking about it as well. And now I've learned, you know, a lot more things that you're supposed to do in the appropriate way to respond. What do you think? Because when I
1: hear you say that, that sounds pretty appropriate to me. Mm. Um, And I hope you give yourself some forgiveness for that. Yeah. But if someone does have that conversation, what would you recommend they do say in a situation like that?
0: I would say to listen, to talk less and like lean in and listen more, to ask a ton of questions about why they're feeling that way. You know, what problem are you trying to solve through suicide? How often do you think about it? Mm -hmm. How would you do it? Like asking very specific questions and questions are powerful. Questions can change the game. Questions can offer solutions maybe they never thought about before. And then just having empathy and understanding. And empathy is different than sympathy. Mm-hmm. Sympathy says, I care about your pain. And empathy asks the question, can I sit with you? Can I share in your pain? Can I, I see that you're hurting. How can I serve you? How can I take some of that pain off your shoulders and put it on mine?
1: Whoa, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. so what I wish I would have responded
0: with more empathy and grace. And, yeah. and understanding and, and the posture of... I don't know. I have no idea what it's like to live with depression and anxiety and yeah. suicidal thoughts instead of thinking like you would never do that. I right. think like, I just assumed he would never do it. Mm-hmm. And and it happened.
1: I would say of everything you just said cuz you were To me, it sounds as if you supported this man and loved him and did everything. And you also were grieving Dave's passing during those years as well. But I I would say one thing to everybody that is important that you've had somebody like this in your life that I've just experienced. I think typically when someone's got mental illness or they're they're depressed, I think the first few times they're that way, we are rather empathetic. Mm -hmm. Except it's an illness, which means this may be a long time. It may be forever. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point, perhaps we need to guard our impatience with it or our fatigue mm-hmm. about it. Would you mm-hmm. agree with that? There comes a point where like, okay, we've been down this road, we've mm-hmm. done this. And I think that's when you lose empathy. This is someone struggling with a physical, mental illness that they are mm-hmm. suffering from. They don't want to have it. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes we forget that. You said something really powerful a minute ago that I want to address, then I'd like to ask you about the, the children, if I can. Yeah but you said something about saying to him that that's a selfish act. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree with what you're about to say because I know your stance on this now, but one of the things, and i in prepping for this interview, I had people say to me, how could he be so selfish? Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the great tales Mm -hmm. of falsehoods that's drifted through time, that somehow suicide is a uh, a selfish decision by Mm -hmm. somebody. And you've corrected that and I would like you to speak to that right now because if anybody has the right to feel that way, it would be you. And even now during this time, you don't feel that way. What's your belief about whether that's a selfish choice or not?
0: Yeah, so I, I do not believe the suicide's selfish. I see the suicide as something that happened to Andrew. I don't see the suicide as a decision. Um, and actually there's been studies done on a suicidal mind that show that a suicidal mind is incapable of making a rational decision. You're so out of your mind that I imagine you don't even know what you're doing, you know? And I, and I don't know what it was like in those moments for him leading up to that and so i just put it in the same category as like a catastrophic accident you know and i don't i don't think andrew chose to die. And that's why the language is so important. Things like committed suicide and killed himself and chose to take his own life. like Those are words that are not the right words to describe what happened.
1: Committed, that's interesting. Yeah, so
0: committed is a word we attach to words like committed a crime or committed murder or committed a sin. And the word committed makes it feel like it's a decision. Mm-hmm. And if someone had a heart condition and had a heart attack, you wouldn't say they committed a heart attack, wow. right? Mm-hmm. And And mental illness is a physical illness. It's the same thing. It's a physical illness it's mm-hmm. the suicide is the result of an underlying physical illness so by saying died by suicide instead of committed suicide mm-hmm. puts it in its right place mm-hmm. and, and shows mm-hmm. that it was a because of a physical illness not a decision
1: you're amazing and I appreciate that for me too
0: and 90% of suicides are impulsive was something the psychiatrist shared with us as 90%. well 90% this yeah.
1: is important everybody so There's two audiences listening to this. There's somebody who's ultimately going to deal in their life with someone in their family who has mental illness. That's one part of the audience, Mm -hmm. the largest part. Mm -hmm. Then there's the part of the audience who has some form of mental illness. Mm -hmm. Moderate anxiety all the way to, you know, uh, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, severe depression. For those of you that are in the severe depression category that have contemplated suicide, although it's not a a selfish choice, it still causes tremendous pain to the people that you love. Mm-hmm. And so you are, it's incumbent upon you to get all of the help, all of the resources, all of the support you need, so that what we're describing right now will never happen to your children, your spouse, your parents in your life. And so I have to ask you about this because I want people to yeah. experience this. Mm-hmm. At some point, you had to tell these three beautiful boys of yours, correct? Mm-hmm. How old were the boys at the time? And would you mind sharing with us just how in the world you end up having a conversation like that?
0: Yeah, they were five, four, and two when he passed away. I had just turned two and I had just turned four. Mm-hmm. And I waited a week so I had stayed with my brother-in-law, my boys stayed with my dad, and I waited a week to tell them. There was just so much to process, and I just wanted to talk to the right people. I talked to child life specialists. I wanted to be careful and really feel ready when I told them. So I b- brought some friends to my house, and I actually cleaned out his stuff right away, too. I wanted what I was sharing to match our environment. I didn't want them to walk in my room and see all of his stuff and be like, where's daddy? Is he coming back? So I gave them each a fruit snack and sat them on the couch and told them, like, remember how Daddy was really sick? Because they had seen him, they knew he wasn't well, they knew he was going to the doctor a lot, they knew he was back in our bedroom a lot. He spent a lot of his time back in our bedroom through the summer. So I told him, you know how Daddy is really sick and Daddy's been sleeping a lot. Well, Daddy got so sick, he ended up in the hospital and Daddy did something that caused him to die. And, and daddy died, and daddy's in heaven with papa. And immediately when I said that, my five-year-old got up and just walked into the kitchen. Like, he just needed to escape the moment. Mm. My other two went outside and played. You know, a lot of kids process through play. But my oldest had lost his papa. And so I think he knew, you know, what, what that meant. And he knew that daddy wasn't going to be coming back. So I followed him into the kitchen and hugged him. We both just wept mm. in the kitchen. And... Yeah, I spent the whole day processing that and looking at pictures and talking about him. And it's still it's going to be a lifelong process for them. No
1: question. How are they doing?
0: They're doing okay. You know, they're so resilient. You wouldn't know unless you knew. You really wouldn't. Mm. Um, loss is part of who we are as a family. We talk about Andrew every day. We look at pictures of him every day. It's part of our daily conversations. For a while, I would do daddy talks every night before bed. Um, but yeah I mean we talk about him a ton I try to keep the memories alive and overall I mean they're happy, busy wild boys, they're fun they laugh a lot, they're into sports they like to play outside, they love coming to the beach, like mm. they're they're fun amazing, amazing boys mm. and you really wouldn't know what they're, what they're walking through if you didn't know
1: Are there situations at random where one of them, I was reading I was prepping and um it's rare really, that you read something and you just can't stop crying.
0: Mm.
1: But I was reading about on Father's Day. I think it was your your youngest. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Didn't he make a have a, a coffee cup that he wanted to give his dad for Father's Day? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And I thought the way that you handled that was so powerful. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing that that yeah. story? Yeah. Yes. So oh, it was right. heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. It was
0: so heart wrenching. He had made a mug at school and he had brought it back from the classroom and we were going to get in the car and he said, I want to give this to daddy, I made this for daddy, I want to give it to daddy. And I had to tell him, you can't give it to daddy and he wanted, he's like, well I can take it to heaven when I die and I had to explain to him, no, you can't take it to heaven when you die. So there's so many layers and kids just don't understand, there's so much that they don't understand. And so I told him he could pick somebody else special in his life that he could give it to, that he mm-hmm. looks up to. And so he gave it to his Uncle Austin, mm-hmm. super special. And mm-hmm. Uncle Austin's been a great, my husband's brother, mm-hmm. a great role model for mm-hmm. them and loving on them, picking them up from school, taking them on special days and yeah. being there for them.
1: Yeah. You're remarkable. Thank you. I just, I just think you're remarkable because there's there's no playbook for this. No. However, what you're starting to do is to start the first you're starting to write the first pages of a playbook. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to do everything perfectly. No. But I must say, I think it's just amazing how you handled the conversation a week later, how you've handled these incidents that, that come. People would obviously want to know from you how you are doing. Yeah. Do you know even how you're doing? I think that's a fair question. I think no. you could still be in that shock stage. You said that five to eight year window. but yeah. How would you say that you're doing?
0: It's really one day at a time. Honestly, I know people say that, but it's so true. I can only handle a day at a time, and I'm still completely heartbroken, and I'm still completely shocked, and I'm still just sad. Most days, I'm just sad. And I just miss him so much. And I miss, there's so many things that you miss, you know, about doing life with somebody that you love, and especially raising kids. Like, I, for me, it's grieving not having him here to watch his kids grow up Mm -hmm. and thinking about, man, how much they've changed in a year and a half Mm -hmm. and how much he's missed out on already and it's just going to keep me in that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. still broken, still grieving, still so devastated. Mm -hmm. But also I have this peace that can only come from God that that I've had since that first week, this peace about life and about my own life and about what God's doing and I'm so grateful I've cried equal tears about the goodness of God as I have over Andrew's death and wow. God has been so kind to us and so good to us and we're heartbroken and we're grieving it's the sorrow and the joy and it's a tension between the sorrow and the joy and my five-year-old Smith described that so beautifully I did this uh, Mother's Day makeover at his school in March, and he had those fill-in-the-blank, you know, super adorable Mother's Day things. I love it when my mom does this or this or that. And there was one sentence on there, and it said, I love it when my mom takes me to the cemetery and takes me to Disneyland. Literally the happiest place on earth and the saddest place on earth in the same sentence, and that's our life. It's like we have really awesome, beautiful moments and really beautiful days and really beautiful opportunities and then we're sad and devastated and heartbroken Mm. and it's living in the tension of the two.
1: Oh my gosh, that was beautifully said. It occurs to me when you say that, that that is life, Mm -hmm. just the Lord gave it to you in the most extreme possible ways, right? We all have those those, those spaces in between. Uh, Did you, at some point, Did this cause you at some point to question your faith? All these believers out there that are listening to this, this beautiful godly woman, Mm -hmm. was there a point where you just went, I just don't know?
0: It's a wrestling, it's an everyday wrestling with God. I often find myself at the end of the day on my knees in my bedroom asking God, why in the world did you trust me with this? Why in the world did you allow this to happen? Mm -hmm. And what in the world do you want me to do? Mm So it's this I still believe in God and I still believe God is good and I still believe God is kind and I believe that this broke God's heart. Mm -hmm. I believe this absolutely broke God's heart and that it wasn't God's plan A for Andrew's life. Um, But God has been so kind to us and so I've been able to lean into his kindness and Mm -hmm. fall into his kindness and, and just fall into the life that he has for us now. And I feel like him and I together are rebuilding this beautiful life. I call it rebuilding beautiful. It's this phrase that I have and you know, I had a beautiful life and I loved my life with Andrew. I truly like loved it. I loved being a pastor's wife. I loved sitting in the front row on the right on Sundays watching my guy on stage. Like Mm -hmm. I loved all the behind the scenes stuff. Like I loved my life. Yeah. And so to have this life that you love stripped away. And you have to start all over from the dust. It's this rebuilding, and I'm doing that with God, like even more intimately than I've ever known. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I've gotten to know God, and my faith has gone so much deeper than it was before.
1: Amazing. Like so and you're great. serving God. You know, you. It's obvious to me having met you, and I'd heard about you. Many of you may not know this, but their church is in the town, basically, that Christiane and I grew up in, and my entire family lives there, and some of my family goes to church there. Mm-hmm. And so I had heard about you, but it's so obvious when I'm in your presence why the Lord would choose you to carry this burden and mm-hmm. this message, because you're 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 you don't always feel it, but you're ready for this. And as she has this great blog you should all see called God's Got dot God's got dot com. Um, yeah. dot com, yeah. got this. com. they would write beautiful blogs on there, and that blog actually started when Dave had his leukemia battle, I, correct? And everyone yeah. praying for Dave. And it's just interesting that, that now it can be used for this purpose as well mm-hmm. and that the Lord's using you this way. I just think you're you're remarkable. And it's just striking me as I'm in your presence because there's some people you meet in your life that just God's grace and God's goodness is all over. And when you look at you, you see it. It mm-hmm. comes out in your voice. And um, I just want you to know that that, that God's favor's on you. I can see it. And I think you're just, you're just remarkable. I just, I'm I'm so taken away with you. It just blows my mind. Um, Let's, let's help some people some more because you're, you're, you're certainly doing that. But if you went back and looked at this again Mm -hmm. and did, did Drew show signs of this prior? In other words, when you met him, Mm -hmm. did he always sort of struggle with being down um, when you were younger, even in your courtship? Mm -hmm. Or was it, was it just this? the time with dad and then taking over the church? Or did you mm-hmm. see even some predisposition, so to speak, for mm-hmm. this prior, would you say?
0: Yeah, Andrew, um, he had a very intense personality. Um, he was driven for excellence, had a mm-hmm. hard time relaxing, so kind of just had this bent um, towards not being able to relax Perfectly, well. Yeah. yeah, just driven, you know, typical like CEO, mm-hmm. businessman, mm-hmm. like just ready to go. Yeah. And so he just had more of a bent towards that. Um, A a, a bit more serious. You would think he was more serious and more introverted if you met him, which is surprising for, I think a lot of people think pastors are extroverted just because they're on the stage, but most of them are probably introverted. Mm -hmm. And so not a a large circle of friends, not very outgoing, had a very tight circle, Mm a couple of close friends, and his family was everything to him. So not huge signs of mental illness, but definitely a bent towards... Just being more of an intense, driven uh, person. Yeah.
1: I feel like you just described me. (laughs) Um, And I think people listening to this would say that. But you also described a lot of people who listen to the show. And I was Mm -hmm. telling you off camera, if I'm being candid with my audience, Mm -hmm. that I I think all different types of people suffer from mental illness. So there's not a type uh, by any means. But one of the things that people who listen to the show are for the most part people trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And I was telling you this off camera and you agreed. I want everyone to hear this the number one thing on my show when I started with all these achievers mm-hmm. was I wonder what they all have in common. Right. Are they all brilliant?
0: Mm-hmm. Are they all
1: super hardworking? You know, they, uh, you know, was there some luck that happened? Mm-hmm. And in all their cases, there's some variables. But what shocked me was the number one category I could put them in after I got to know them all is they, not all, but a majority of them suffer with some form of Depression mm-hmm. some form of anxiety mm-hmm. and I think it's because and you were saying this with Drew too. I think to some extent this They wanted their perfectionist. They want to do so well They yeah. set this standard for themselves mm-hmm. that they're just never living up to yeah. and although that's a healthy formula for achievement
0: mm-hmm.
1: It's not always a healthy formula for peace mm-hmm. for fulfillment and if you have a bent so to speak towards mental illness There's a road you must be careful you don't go down. For most people, that incongruency is very healthy. Mm -hmm. But if you also have this other bent, I love your word, you you need to be mindful of this. Would you not agree that he sort of fits that profile too? I
0: would, yeah. I think people that are driven like that have a really hard time having a solid community around them, taking time for themselves, taking time for their friends, taking time for their family, and also just resting, like allowing themselves to have margin. rest Andrew could have taken a year off of work and no one would have said a peep about it Mm -hmm. but he did he had that pressure on himself and I think Mm -hmm. a lot of men in those positions and women in those Mm -hmm. positions put that pressure on themselves Mm -hmm. and no one else is putting it on them but they're Mm -hmm. that's just how they're hardwired
1: you're right and there's this thing now I'm so glad you're saying this because I've made this mistake there's like this thing especially in personal development or business or sports there's like this nobility or badge of honor in fatigue mm-hmm. in work all the time. Mm-hmm. Grind, grind mm-hmm. the grind, the mm-hmm. grind. And I'm a guy who's preached to some extent some of that. Yeah. But I've learned that the rest in between, there's a reason why there's a Sabbath day. Right. The Lord gave us that day for a reason for rest, mm-hmm. right? And and There's a, you need rest in your life, you need recuperation of your spirit, of your mind, of your body. Mm -hmm. All of it, all of you achievers listening to this, you've gotta give yourself some rest because there, although it may not lead to you harming yourself or your family, it would just lead to you not being the best version of you, of you you burning out. One of the things I admire so much about you is um, you've honored him since his passing. Mm -hmm. The things you post um, on the blog, um, it's it seems to all... It's honest, but mm-hmm. you 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 really seem to still honor and love this man so deeply. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's wonderful, one, for, as your children grow up seeing that. Yeah. Because I don't want people to think earlier when you said, well, I've removed these things of him. This man is center in your world. Yeah. You, you talk about him regularly. Um, talk about that for a second. Was that a conscious decision or is that just born out of your love for him anyways? Mm-hmm. Or did you choose to speak about him the way you do still.
0: All of it's been so organic, I um, pretty much from the first week I wrote him this letter Mm -hmm. that we put on our blog and the letter kind of just went viral, our story spread like wildfire like all around the world. I was getting messages from people all around the world, my social media blew up and really I think from the beginning I just wanted to protect his name. I think that sometimes suicide just has this bad reputation and you blame the person and their shame and a lot of families won't even say that their loved one died by suicide because they're ashamed. And they think that by saying that people are going to speculate that it was their fault or what was wrong with them and there's just this shame that surrounds that. So I, from the beginning, wanted his life to always be defined by the way he lived, not the way he died. So it's been so important to me to protect his name, and I've just done that organically um, since the beginning by writing. I've written a series of letters to him, um, and yeah, and, and talking about him, and all of it's you know honest, just how I, how I feel about him, and I still love him deeply and still mm. care about him so much, and can't wait to see him mm. again. Life is so short, I'm gonna see him again soon, yeah.
1: There's been talk that someone with any kind of mental illness shouldn't lead a church. Mm-hmm. Um, which means people think someone suffering from mental illness shouldn't lead a company, Mm -hmm. shouldn't lead a sports team. Mm -hmm. and that somehow that disqualifies you especially in the faith space that if you Mm -hmm. struggle with anxiety or you struggle with depression or you struggle with any kind of mental illness even anger issues Mm -hmm. that somehow that disqualifies you I'm of the opinion that we're all sinners saved by the grace of God and it's our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses that help us connect with other people in our churches and our companies on social media and business and sports but what is your Mm -hmm. take on that have you heard that has Mm -hmm. that been something that's been messaged to you
0: and I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't admit that they're struggling I think a lot of people struggle silently in the dark and that they really struggle on their own by themselves with suicidal thoughts and with depression and with anxiety because they're afraid if they actually tell people how they're actually doing, they're going to lose their job or they're going to lose their business or they're going to lose their family. And so they struggle silently and it's so heartbreaking. So we have to break the stigma. We have to create space for people to be willing to step into the light and raise their hand and say, I need help. And for people to be receptive to that and allow that to happen. And it doesn't disqualify them from ministry. It doesn't disqualify them from their vocation doesn't disqualify them from anything you know it's just sometimes we struggle and sometimes we get sick Mm -hmm. it's the same as any other physical illness if someone got cancer you wouldn't pull them out of their position right you would walk alongside them and try to get them the help that they need and i think at some you know at some points probably is good to take time off and rest if you're struggling and you've been running fast for a long time and you feel burnt out there's nothing wrong was stepping away from a season like Andrew did, mm-hmm. and saying, "Hey, I need rest. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come back, and I can't wait to come back. But I got to take some time and have that self-care time yeah. for me." And you got to yeah.
1: find that rest, by the way. If you can't take months off, right? It's finding hours after work where you your phone just must be down, mm-hmm. or it's it's taking that weekend, or certainly your Sunday, or if you you know, I was reading this article the other day about the amount of unused vacation days in the United oh, States. Wow. It's this massive number. I'm forgetting the statistic, but it's, yeah. it's, it's like 60% of all the vacation days afforded to employees in the United States
0: aren't taken and used. That's so sad. And the average yeah. person
1: only gets two of them a year, and the average person is not even taking these two weeks to rest and recuperate. Mm-hmm. That's a very much an American thing. Yeah it's, it's uh, this grind work thing is this the attachment to it isn't admired and respected all over the world it's mm-hmm. in some places but it's something in our country that rest is almost frowned upon
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I'm so grateful that you that you point that out. And I
0: think social media has just made that so much worse. It's the yeah. striving it's the seeing what everybody else is doing and trying to keep up and yep. striving and going and especially for pastors too it's got to keep up with everybody. I know. Yeah. It's,
1: it's the growth of the size of the church, and
0: yeah. and
1: um, I, I think that it's important for everybody to know that in my opinion, and and I know you've experienced this now because you're getting so many messages, I think mental illness in and of itself, that gigantic umbrella, and it is a huge umbrella right? of variations,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: is the most prominent illness suffered by human beings on earth today. Mm-hmm. It's not heart disease. It's not cancer. It's mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so if you are struggling with a, a touch of it or to a large extent of it, join the club. Yeah, There's a vast majority of people who are struggle with some, to some extent. And there's all kinds of meditation, there's prayer, there's there's, um, moving your body, there's certain dietary things. There's all kinds of things you can do for the mildest forms, mm-hmm. and then there's treatment therapy and at the end, the most extreme medication for those of you that need it there too. I just want everybody to hear this. First off, I want you to know something you have a friend here that if you ever need prayer help mm-hmm. anything you ever need i want you to know that i'm 100 percent here for you and there's now millions more people they gonna be praying for you i'll have a couple more questions for you but yeah. so god's got is right. your blog mm-hmm. and then on social media because they're going to want to follow you where they're going to want to follow what's going on with your family i'm mm-hmm. sure for the next 10 years, is these beautiful boys, by the way, all three of which look like their daddy they so do. much. Especially your youngest boy. Yeah. But all do. three of them look we like got their big daddy.
0: big blue eyes.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, they're so they're handsome. Beautiful. They look yeah. so much. You both, you guys, there's a good <laughs> DNA conflict <combo> between the <laughs> two of you. But they're easy. such beautiful voice. So how do they find you on Instagram or any social yep. media?
0: My handle's Kayla Steck. And okay. we have a God's Got This Instagram. That's underscore God's Got This.
1: Okay. So it's yeah. Steck, Kayla Steck. We'll put right. it up on the screen on the right. YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Two sets of advice from you. Mm-hmm. The first person, the first one is to a family member or friend mm-hmm. who thinks they may have somebody who is at the more severe end of the spectrum on mental illness. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've mentioned suicide. Mm-hmm or they've really had bouts of anger. I think that was a great point that you you made earlier. They're going through some panic and anxiety attacks. What counselor advice would you give them right now?
0: I would say get help. I would say find, uh, surround yourself with a team. And the team includes friends, the team includes family members, the team includes a counselor. Like sign up for counseling. Psychologytoday.com is a great place to find a counselor. You can put in your zip code, you can put in your healthcare insurance information and find somebody locally to go to. Counseling is incredible. I go every single week. Counseling can have a bad reputation, but it's really beautiful when done right. Yeah, I go every week. I love it. Um, and then also um, just talk about it and take it seriously. And there are hotlines, like if someone's telling you, like, I'm going to die by suicide, like I'm going to commit suicide, call the hotline, like call the suicide hotline. There's a crisis text line. You can just text HOME to 741 and get advice. There's people ready, willing to give you advice. And it doesn't even have to be an in the moment. I think I thought, it's like, if someone tells you you call right then, but it can just be calling at any point to ask for advice, like hey, my my husband's struggling with anger and I think he's been having panic attacks, like what do I do? you could call those hotlines and ask advice for those things. It doesn't have to be to the extent of like they're about to die by suicide. Okay. Um, So hotline, counselors, friends, family, like do everything that you can to surround this person with the right team and then go to every single appointment with them if you can. I think it's really hard for somebody that's sick to advocate for themselves and be able to, because their mind is sick, to be able to articulate how they're actually feeling. So to have somebody go with them that can help speak that and tell the doctors how they're actually feeling is one of the regrets I have is not going to every single psychiatrist appointment with Andrew. Um, So, yeah, showing up and being there and just like you would if they were struggling with some kind of other physical illness.
1: Great advice. And then I'd like you to speak to somebody who's considering something so severe. Um, Mm -hmm. You can speak for their family because your family's gone through it. Right. What would you tell that person who's right there, right now they're listening to this and they're thinking, you know, "I'm I'm a mother with a couple children at home and I don't want to be here anymore either. Yeah. What would you say to to that person?
0: I would say, tell somebody. I would say, if you tell somebody and feel like they don't get it, keep telling people until you find somebody that you feel like is empathizing with you Mm -hmm. and understands how you're feeling. And I would say, hang on, Mm -hmm. like things will get better. And if they don't get better, like still hang on. Mm -hmm. I know it's hard. I know it's painful. But escaping that way and dying by suicide, all it does is take all that pain that you're feeling and heap it onto the shoulders of the people that you love the most. And you can get through this and we need you and we love you and tomorrow needs you and you make today better. Like all those things are so true and all those things are things that I wish I could say to Andrew. You know, that I love you and I'm here for you and I'm not going anywhere ever. Mm-hmm. And that you, if you are struggling with those thoughts, you have more people that are for you and that are with you and that are loved, that love you than you know you really do. You're
1: amazing. All right, last question. Sure. Because I'm watching someone do this. And I know there's a part of you that's like, they think I'm a whole lot stronger than I am. Or they think I've figured all this out and I haven't. No. But you're evidence of the superhuman power that God can infuse into us in our worst times. Mm-hmm. And I want everybody to hear that. The Lord can give you superhuman strength and power when you need it most. Right. And it may be in spurts, but he'll give it to you when you need it. Both if you're grieving or if you're the person struggling with this, God can give you that strength. And it's so important because you are evidence of this. Yeah. It's it's this, you think it's these big, tall, tattooed, buff guys like Andrew was there. The pastors and they are strong, but guess who else the Lord gave the superhuman power to? Caleb. Mm-hmm. And so the last question I have is just dealing with grief. And, yeah. and let me ask you what I mean. I'm going to tell you, let me tell you what I mean by that. Yeah. There's people in any form of grief right now, they're grieving, they're grieving a company that failed yeah. they They're grieving a financial loss. They're grieving a relationship that's ended. Yeah. Maybe they're grieving the death of a loved one. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's a lot of grief in the world. Mm-hmm. You've been dealt a hand of the most extreme type of grief in the most probably shocking way. Mm-hmm the mother of three children and an incredible husband who was also a leader. That's a significant amount of grief. I also hope just your story gives people perspective on their grief. Mm-hmm. But what advice would you give for someone who says, I don't, I'm gonna grieve, but I wanna live again. I wanna live again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wanna live again.
0: Mm-hmm. Would
1: would you say to somebody who right now, any of those circumstances they're struggling with?
0: Yeah, I would say run to your grief. I would say the only way to get through your grief is through. You can't go over it, you can't go around it, you can't go under it, you have to just face it and walk through. I had read this beautiful quote, it was talking about grief and how um, you can't the, the fastest way to reach the sun isn't to follow the sunset. It's actually to plunge into the darkness and find the sunrise. So you have to go through the darkness to be able to find the, the joy and the light and the sun. And that that's possible. Like it's the both for me. Like I'm extremely sad, but I also have days where I'm happy. Yeah. And it, and both are possible in grief. So allow, give yourself a lot of grace with the grief, and allow yourself to sit and your feelings, and, and allow your feelings to lead you to some extent, like, sometimes I'll, I'll feel this really extreme pull just to go sit at the cemetery, and so I'll go sit at the cemetery and sit there until that pull goes away, you know, or sometimes I just need to sit and cry, and I'll just sit and cry and let it out, like, all of that needs to come out, and then also just find the right people to talk to hang out with friends, don't isolate yourself, and go to counseling, go talk to somebody, and that you can get through this, and you can survive this, you really can. Mm -hmm. And that life can still be beautiful again, and that you don't move on, you never move on. I'm never gonna move on from losing Andrew. I'm gonna move forward with it, and I'm going to build this beautiful life around the loss. The loss will always be with me, but Mm -hmm. the beauty is still possible.
1: The other thing I see you doing, uh, I see you serving other people. And I have found in my own life that to some of my own grief,
0: mm-hmm.
1: by, to no extent am I doing what you're doing. But you've also found this other little clue, which is that you're starting to make, give yourself as the gift to other people. And okay. through that, I'm sure there's some healing from that as too. I want to tell you that um, I just want to thank you on behalf of everybody listening or watching this, and all of us collectively tonight that are hearing this or watching this are going to pray for you and your three beautiful boys, and that we owe you a debt of gratitude. You really honored Drew today with what you did here, and um, I'm touched and moved beyond anything we've ever done on this show, and I'm so glad I started this show because it led me to today. Mm-hmm. and uh, and. Um, I'm just, I'm emotional about it. So thank you so much, thank Kayla. Thank you
0: so much for having me. It's an, an honor. Just
1: amazing. The <laughs> honor is all ours, believe thank me. You. Everybody, I don't feel like promoting uh, the two-minute drill today. Um, just, you guys know there's a two-minute drill on Instagram that you can participate with. What I would ask you to do, and this is important. You need to share today's show with people. You need to let this spread. This things to go viral. We need as many people as we possibly can to hear Kayla's message. And um, I'm going to ask you to please do that today. So God bless you all. Share this with as many people as you can. Max out.
0: This is the Admanage Show.